This is Not Your Average Financial Podcast, Episode 21, Income and Retirement, Retirement Planning Gotchas. Traditional financial planning is no longer working. And in the new normal economy, your hosts, Mark Willis and Holly Bach, invite you to join us as we engage the new and improved steps for establishing financial sanity. Be curious, be stable, be sane. This is Not Your Average Financial Podcast, helping you think different about your money, your economy, and your future. Welcome, everybody, and thank you for joining us for another episode. And with me in the studio today is Holly Bach. Welcome, Holly. Hello. Thanks, Mark. All right. Well, we're going to get right into the uh, content for today. We've got a lot of ground to cover. We're going to look at uh, where and how do we pull money from our various sources of income and retirement so we don't run out of money. Uh, You know, we looked at an incredible, I think, bombshell of a report last episode. Check that one out. The Morningstar Report, they call it the safe withdrawal rates. We learned that uh, folks are really going to have to start taking more like 2.8% out of their retirement plans uh, to to live long enough. I mean, to to make sure that we don't run out of money. To get a 90% success rate, we got to pull about 2.8% of our nest egg out each year. And my question I immediately ask is, don't I want 100%? Isn't 100% the goal? I mean, mm-hmm. I don't get a do-over. It's not like when I'm 83 years old and I'm down to nothing that I can go back to when I was 65 and take less money out of my savings or 401k or whatever. The clock doesn't go backwards. Uh, once you're out of cash, you're out of cash. It's not like a class paper. You either win or you lose. So with a one in 10 shot of losing, um, this is not you know, as simple as going back to get a do-over. I need this 100%. I need it guaranteed. Absolutely. Right? <laughs> yeah. So yeah. So how and where do we build this safe withdrawal rate so we never worry about running out of money? I guess when I was get, doing some research for these episodes, Holly, it just struck me how inefficient Wall Street is at doing all this. I mean, it's very, I mean, to have 2.8 withdrawal rate, that's very low and very inefficient, it feels like. And just to have a 90% success rate, feels like there ought to be more and maybe more efficient means of generating an income in retirement, right? Mm-hmm. Absolutely. So, yeah, we looked at, while the 2.8% is cited by Morningstar and, um, and looking at that, I think, is a really helpful thing. They're referring to a portfolio of mostly 40% equities and 60% bonds. So, you know, different asset classes might have a different withdrawal rate to make sure you never run out of money. So if I've got a million bucks in a stocks and bonds portfolio, I'll only be able to take out, according to them, 2.8%. But if I have a million bucks sitting over in something else, maybe I can take less, maybe I can take more, depending on how that financial vehicle operates. Okay, so, and yet Wall Street, of course, is lulling us into thinking that the only place we should keep our cash is stocks and bonds, which just floors me. Uh, obviously, it doesn't, it shouldn't surprise me, but it does surprise <laughs> me. Yeah. And so what we want to talk about here today are some of those different possible sources of passive income in retirement. In last episode, we talked about how one of the keys to being able to truly live your golden years in retirement is taking some necessary steps to get you there. And one of those steps was helping you uh, get different sources of passive income built up that you can rely on uh, throughout those retirement years. So I want to talk through right now a high level of what those different uh, sources are, and then we'll be diving into each one 
kind of in detail uh, throughout the rest of this episode. Uh, So on a high level, uh, one source of passive income is Social Security. Uh, So certainly passive income, government, what you know, do you mails mean by, check. And what do you mean by passive? Just quickly on that. I'm curious. Yeah. So passive meaning you're not doing anything for it. There you go. <laughs> you know, it's, yeah. it's coming in the mail, whether you, uh, you know, whether you like it or not, yeah. I guess. You don't um, have to lift a finger for it. It's not You're not working. Income. There you yeah, go. Yeah. You're not yeah. working anymore. It's just coming in, uh, even though you're just sitting on the couch, more okay. or less. Got it. So social security. Uh, Social Security, uh, also defined benefit plans, um, and then also even kind of pension plans built in with that, uh, depending upon who you're working for and what their retirement plan looks like, uh, will kind of determine whether you have a defined benefit plan or a pension plan. So those would be pensions and so forth, but but also you'd include in defined uh, qualified plans. That'd be your 401k, your IRA, things like that too, right? Mm -hmm. Okay, got it. Um, And then third here would be just any personal savings and investments. So anything that you've done, you know, kind of yourself on the side, in addition uh, to what, you know, you were obviously contributing to to with Social Security and with your employer. Uh, And then fourth here is life insurance and annuities. And so those also can be a source of passive income throughout your retirement years as well. So maybe you've heard of some of these different sources. Uh, Maybe you've heard of none of them. Uh, Doesn't matter because we're going to be going over all of them here today. And maybe even you've heard of one of these, uh, but, you know, maybe don't necessarily know everything about it. Or maybe there's some things that you thought you knew that you don't actually know, perhaps. Uh, So, yeah, just looking to kind of walk through each of those with you guys. So it was 1937, and, and uh, we're in the midst of the Great Depression, toward the end, actually. And uh, you know, FDR, Franklin Delano Roosevelt, was setting up all these different um, new deals with uh, the United States. And one of those programs that were set up was uh, the Old Age Survivor Disability Insurance, OASDI, which now is, you know, we call it Social Security. And that was in 1937. And like we said in our last episode, it was sort of seen as a last-ditch effort to make sure that there wasn't just outright poverty uh, in the streets. Our very oldest and most uh, revered seniors should not have to starve in their final years if no one else is there to care for them. And that was really the focus. And and the idea wasn't that every single person would automatically get 20 years of Social Security. Uh, it was really, you know, folks were living to age 61. They wouldn't have any income till age 65. So the average person was uh, playing their harp strings before they got their first Social Security check. Uh, but today, clearly, the average Social Security check is $1,404 per month. $1,404 per month. That's substantially less than the average wage. So the the maximum monthly benefit under Social Security for 2018 is 2788 bucks. So again, that may not make it through the month for most of our listeners. Uh, Depends Mm -hmm. on where you live and some other factors, of course. But this is a nice cushion uh, to make sure some basics are covered, expenses, maybe a mortgage, maybe a little bit of uh, grocery money, that sort of thing, and and prescriptions possibly. And again, uh, the government has sort of realized that we're living to age 78 now. uh, So our life expectancy is longer, fewer workers, more retirees as the boomers begin to move through the pipeline, so to speak, of, of life. And as that happens, there's fewer people supporting more retirees. And as that, so they've made some adjustments to the Social Security formula. They're saying, all right, folks need to get to uh, an older age before they're getting full benefits. So now those who are turning 62 years old this year, the full retirement age is now 66 years and four months. 
to get your full Social Security benefit. And that's going to continue to expand as the years go on. Uh, so the longer life expectancies uh, need to consider a unlimited income stream, I guess is one of the best things about Social Security is that it's unlimited. And the longer you live, the longer the government has to pay you, right? Mm-hmm. So tell us a little bit about qualified plans and defined benefit plans, Holly. Yeah. So, you know, these you know, kind of defined benefit plans, pension plans, uh, which would be defined contribution plans. Uh, some of those have to do with, you know, what you might have with your employer, right? You know, so, so what do you have set up with your employer? And certainly uh, can be a source of retirement income for you. Uh, with that, though, the retirement income, you know, how you take from it, you know, might, some people might be thinking, oh, yeah, it's completely flexible. I'll decide exactly, you know, how I want to take it, when I take it, and how I use it uh, throughout my retirement years. Um, but actually, there are some restrictions on, you know, those plans and how they can be accessed, um, especially for people that are looking to maybe, uh, you know, not take from their plan. They want to make sure that they can leave it to their family or only take from it when they want. Uh, Because there are these things called RMDs, uh, which stand for uh, Required Minimum Distributions. And so there actually is a point when the government is going to start requiring you to take money out of your qualified plans. Uh, So for, you know, IRAs, 401ks, 403bs, any of those, uh, it's generally the you know April 1st following the year in which you turned 70 and a half the they, year after they just couldn't make that any simpler I yeah. mean that that <laughs> April 1st on the year following you turned 70 and a half years old Wow exactly all right it's so almost like they're people, trying to get us yeah. to pay the penalty right so some people are going to get a lo- little luckily luckier than others I guess yep. in, in mm-hmm. how long they can prolong the RMDs um, but yeah you turned 70 and a half and then the following calendar year, on April 1st is when that first RMD is due. And that that's coming from anything that's qualified, the 401k, the IRA, the SEP, anything mm-hmm. at all. Okay, gotcha. And the point is the government's basically tired of waiting on paying on you paying your taxes on that. Is that the point of why yeah. those RMDs are there? Yeah, they're saying we don't want to wait any longer. We need to get our check our, our cut now. You know, they've been waiting for, you know, if you started it when you're 20, now you're 70, they say, yeah. "Hey, I've been waiting for my money for 50 years." Yeah. Um cough it up more or less. Uncle Sam's <laughs> tired of waiting. And really what some people don't necessarily always know about either is the penalty uh, for that RMD. And so if if you choose not to pay, you know, take the money out and and pay taxes on that RMD that year, then the penalty is actually fifty percent. Wow, of five what, zero of what you would have been um, required to take out. So that can be a pretty huge, pretty huge penalty. Good night. That's wild, and it's it's actually fairly common that I've seen anyway. Folks that uh, did do a good job of saving. So these are the not your average uh, retirement planners that did do a good job. Maybe they've got some real estate rental income. Maybe they've got a business that they're getting some passive income or dividend yields off their stock portfolio, their brokerage account, or their life insurance, or other things that they might have set up. They don't want that qualified money. They're trying to figure out a way to not get it because every dollar they get that's considered provisional income actually hurts their chances at getting the entire Social Security check that, that they get on uh, that Social Security check that, uh, you know, every dollar I get in my 401k earned is a dollar I might lose from my Social Security because they'll tax that back, right? Mm-hmm. So one of the things that really struck me, this is doing a little research and uh, talking with some other advisors that I absolutely respect. Um, one in particular, a guy named Jim Conrad pointed me to this. And I just, I was floored when I figured this out, when, when he showed this to me and it, it dawned on me when it finally 
worked its way down my Plinko brain of neurons that I realized, wow, this is crazy. So the government has this gotcha on our retirement accounts that really messes with your ability to make that money last as long as you need it to. And like we said, those required minimum distributions mean that they're going to require you to drain your retirement account starting at age 70 and a half, even if you don't want to. And it just so happens they have a nice formula, the government does, on exactly what you need to take out. So starting at age 70 and a half or the April 1st following, they're going to require you to take out 3.65% of your nest egg every year and pay your taxes on it. And that percentage starts at 3.65%, but bumps up every single year. So by the time you're 85 years old, they're going to make you take 6.76% out per year. Okay, that's according to IRS tables. All right, so why is that a problem? Why is it a problem that we might be taking 6.76% of our well, nest egg? of the Morningstar. <laughs> yes, say more about that. Well, just the fact that, I mean, Morningstar showed that in order for you to not run out of money in retirement, you couldn't take more than 2.8% in any given year. Um, And that was even just, again, for a 90% chance of success. But then if the government's requiring you to take, I mean, you know, 3.65% starting at 70 and a half is already above Mm -hmm. 2.8, but not bad. You could maybe argue it. But I mean, if you're working up to a point where you're at 6.76%, I mean, that's... That's huge. I mean, that math isn't going to add up and that's going to lead back. I mean, even just a 4% was a 50% chance, right? Mm -hmm. So if you're taking a 4% withdrawal rate, you have a 50-50 chance. So can you imagine what what your odds are if you're taking 6.76%? This is nuts. This is a formula that's absolutely going to fail. So the feds have really created this deal where they get, you know, tax tax money uh, on a larger and larger portion of your savings every year for as long as you live. And it's virtually guaranteed to make you run out of money before you pass away. Mm -hmm. Uh, And, you know, obviously I realize you don't have to spend that money at the grocery store. You're just being taxed on it every year. Uh, But it's forcing you to liquidate your savings on a timetable that's super dangerous, super contrary to more recent data. So what I thought was just so interesting here, Holly, is, okay, the government uh, has this RMD schedule that they're kind of uh, running on old data, the 4% rule, right? And, uh, And yet we've been given this new data. Um, based on low interest rates. Well, who's making, who sets the interest rates? Well, the Federal Reserve does. Okay, so the Federal Reserve has pushed down interest rates, uh, but we've kept this super high distribution rate from our 401ks and other things. It seems like one side of the government's not talking to the other, and who gets caught <laughs> in the middle is uh, all of us. Us, right? yep. Okay, Absolutely. so I'm off my high horse. I promise, guys, the rest of the episode is super fun. Holly, take it away. <laughs> well, that wasn't fun. Yeah. <laughs> um, but no, yeah, I mean, it's just, it is it is mind-boggling because it, it makes sense too, right, that they would do that if you really think about it, that the government wants to make sure that they're going to get their cut before you're gone. And so it makes sense that they're, they're um, you know, coming up with these percentages that are essentially guaranteeing you're going to exhaust your funds before you pass away. And they're doing it to make sure that they get their money. However, it's not in any way designed to help you. Um, and so that's, right. that's, you know, that's what the gotcha is, is that, yes, it, it sounds great. It looks great. It's pretty and shiny, you know, your 401k, your IRA. Um, but really, who's pulling the strings and who's calling the shots and whose best interest do they have in mind? Because uh, it certainly isn't yours. 
There you go. So um, what, what's next? Tell us more about yep. other places besides 401ks that we might save or have ready uh, funds for our income in retirement. Yeah. So our next source of passive income is personal savings and investments. Uh, so, you know, you might be thinking, oh, okay, that's that's just, you know, my mutual funds, my stocks, bonds, uh, perhaps. But specifically, we're talking about passive income. Mm-hmm. Uh, so there actually are different ways where you can, uh, you know, kind of allocate your investments to be income providing. And the way that you do that you know, most typically is purchasing you know, dividend yielding stocks. Um, so you might have a brokerage account and yes, you could have it in, uh, you know, you could have it in bonds and, and different different stocks here or there. But what we're looking at here to make it a passive income strategy is purchasing dividend yielding stocks. And the way that it works is you uh, purchase that stock and then each and every year it's going to spit off a dividend. And so then what you would do is take that dividend, the income it's generating, and then you live off that. Right. Um, same thing with bonds. You know, bonds are the same way. You purchase a bond and then it's going to spit off that you know, uh, interest off of it and then you could just live off that interest. Um, but however, with that, uh, in both cases, whether it's a dividend from a stock or interest from a bond, uh, it's going to be taxable each and every year. And you're also going to have certain risks involved with both strategies. Uh, if it's a stock, you're still at risk of uh, you know, the company uh, being downgraded or the company having bad financials. They could not only uh, decrease the dividend that they pay out, they could eliminate it entirely. You know, dividend, yeah. Dividends aren't guaranteed uh, with you know, uh, different stocks and things like that. It's true. Yeah. G- General Electric, uh, GE just lowered their dividend. I don't know if you heard that news, mm-hmm. but yeah, that, that crushes uh, a lot of people because GE is kind of the standard stalwart of do- dividend yielding stocks. Yeah. So even GE isn't immune. Even Apple, I mean, Enron, Right. Yeah. They're all uh, they're all subject to changing those dividends. Yeah. Great stuff. Exactly. So that's all still um, at risk at some capacity, but it is a passive income yeah. play mm-hmm. uh, that that people will employ. Uh, another one is interest off CDs. So you could uh, you know again purchase this CD. It's going to spit off a certain amount of interest for you that you could live off as a type of income. Uh, you might want to bring your magnifying glass though. <laughs> <laughs> uh, the day that that you know check arrives in the mail. Uh, <laughs> Super low. Yeah. Because it's going to be. Pretty low. Um, and then you're still going to have to pay taxes on that, you know, pittance of, a, of an interest payment that you got. Um, but it's technically another passive income play. Yep. Also taxable too, right? The interest on CDs. So again, we're looking at what are some efficient ways to generate income. Everywhere you put your money is going to make it do different things. And all of those things are sometimes great for what you're trying to accomplish. You know, uh, we could also add here like your typical brokerage account or day trading account, or maybe you threw some money at some cryptocurrency or something else, you know, that just spits off some income for you uh, as you buy and sell. Okay, have fun with that. You know, that's just kind of the play money. Um, what about what it should be? Right, yeah, should just yeah. be the play money. <laughs> so the other side of the equation is actuarial instruments like insurance. So tell us about uh, how life insurance could be used for income. Yes. So we're going to spend some time here talking about um, two other passive income plays, let's say, that you could make, um, you know, whole life insurance, then also annuities. So with, you know, whole life insurance. Okay. So your first thought is probably how in the world do I live on a life insurance policy? And how do I get income from a whole life insurance policy? I mean, isn't that just money I give my family when I croak is typically what I I think when I think life insurance, Mm -hmm. just from a general perspective. Yeah. 
Yeah, and and that is true. That's still a true statement. Um, however, what you know most people aren't necessarily aware of is the cash value component to a whole life insurance policy and how you can actually use that to become a passive income stream um, in your later years. So we've talked about it in a couple different episodes here on our podcast. Um, but you know these specific types of policies that can be used in this way are called bank on yourself policies. And if you've been able to build up enough cash value inside one of these bank on yourself plans, then you can actually access um, you know all this income from it as a passive income stream uh, tax-free throughout your retirement years. Mm-hmm. Um, and so with the uh, whole life insurance option, really the safe withdrawal rate, we actually get to see that go- bump up a little bit um, to actually closer to 5%. 5%. 5%. So this is this is our example uh, that we say 5%. That runs, folks, I mean, we do these calculations all day long, right? Mm-hmm. And yep. regularly we've got successful with, with a high degree of confidence Possibly even the guaranteed column could be pulled out at whatever rate is comfortable for the person. But you're saying that we're able to run illustrations that have about 5% withdrawal rate. Exactly. Wow. So rather than you looking at 2.8% and a 90% chance of success, you know, you're looking at a 5% withdrawal yeah. rate. Wow. And, cool. And also also not to be overlooked, which is huge, a huge implication is the taxation of it. Yeah, that's right. So, you know, not only we're just talk, talking about a bigger, you know, piece of the pie, but we're also talking that you you keep that bigger piece of the pie. <laughs> yeah. Um, you know, in our example of the million bucks, you know, you get $28,000, but then you pay taxes on that, which could mm-hmm. be another 20-30% off or sorry, never 20 yeah. or 30% that gets chopped off, whereas if we're talking 5% tax-free, I mean, that's 50000 that you keep. I mean, we're talking a huge swing here yep. um, by well over half. So what do you want? Do you want on your million bucks, would you rather twenty grand net taxes off your 401k million? Or do you want 50000 tax-free from your life insurance? Yeah, got mm-hmm. it. I, I think the answer is clear there. <laughs> yeah, and and even the five percent you know withdrawal rate uh, is even in today's you know low dividend and interest rate environment. Uh, certainly, that has an effect on insurance companies and the way that the money you know grows with them and the guarantees and the dividends that they're able to pay out. Um, and so, should we see interest rates? you know, go up, should we, you know, we would see dividend rates go up and we could actually maybe even see our clients being able to draw, you know, six, 7% right. a year mm-hmm. and it still be a safe withdrawal rate. So this isn't rates of return. This is our slice of the pie we're pulling off each year. Okay. Exactly. So in our final few moments, I want to kind of quickly review some other things. So I, I want to tell you guys very quickly a story. I was down at uh, the University of Chicago and they have this really cool museum that's very understated, almost Almost everybody walks right by it, but it's the uh, Oriental Institute um, on the University of Chicago campus. And it's one of the largest collections of like, I don't know what to say, biblical archaeology, you know, Mesopotamian history, Egypt, Babylon, old cuneiform tablets, super cool, nerdy stuff for a guy like me. But one of the things they had on the wall there was this 25 foot long parchment paper behind glass. And I was really interested to know what it was. So I walked over to it and wouldn't you know, lo and behold, it was an annuity contract, an annuity contract. I'm like, wow, wow. did I just, you know, leave the uh, museum and I'm in a, you know, insurance office now? What happened here? Mm-hmm. But it turns out annuities are over 2000 years old and they've been used specifically for income generation in retirement years. Okay. So literally thousands of years old. The oldest contract I saw, the one at the uh, museum was from 364 BC. 
found in Egypt, probably a Roman soldier getting a pension. It's basically what it was. So it's so it's probably safe to say this isn't some newfangled, you know, product people just invented that is at risk of not really panning out or working out. Not not newfangled, and and if it if it. You know, I grew up kind of being taught uh, the mainstream average financial planning is avoid annuities like the plague. Mm-hmm. But if annuities are so bad, wouldn't they have figured it out in the last 2,000 years? Them. Yeah, <laughs> right. So what, how, okay. So anyway, that's my two cents on annuities, but they are specifically designed for income generation. They're the most efficient income generator um, known to man in the financial universe. Yeah. Wow. So, uh you know, would you prefer to use a product and a tool that's been around for 2,000 years, like an annuity, or 20 years, like your mm-hmm. 401k? Yeah, right, yeah. <laughs> it's about the, all the longer it's existed. Now, um, I mean, Holly, would you recommend every annuity that walked off the street, though, to your clients? Oh, yeah, no, absolutely not. And we, we've talked about this in previous episodes with the whole life, right, that, you know, not every whole life insurance policy that's out there in the same way, not every annuity policy that's out there is one that I would necessarily recommend or would say is going to you know, guarantee and protect your future. Um, in fact, I'd probably say about 90% of the ones out there, you know, yeah. I wouldn't, I wouldn't, you know, think would be worth anyone's uh, time or effort. But um, there are, you know, newer versions, new modernizations of kind of this older um, contract that certainly um, are worth their worth their weight um, and, and, and stand the test of time. And so it addresses some of the weaknesses and some of the things that people um, you know previously would hate on them for. They've come out with new modern versions that address those uh, points of interest and really can be huge uh, for mm-hmm. helping people protect their retirement income like you described. Uh, so there really are three kinds of annuities out there. Uh, there are fixed annuities, There are kind of as a subcategory of that, there's fixed indexed annuities, and then there's also variable. And each one of those different types of annuities uh, fit different circumstances and kind of help people accomplish different goals. Uh, But the one that really seems to provide the best bang uh, for the buck, you know, when it comes to our clients' money and really helping them, uh, you know, secure their future is the uh, fixed indexed annuity. Right. Yeah. One that comes with uh, some specific writers, which uh, you know, with our time coming short here, we'll kind of uh, uh, save for a future episode. But, you know, you can keep some liquidity on the annuity. You can keep a lifetime income and still access the accumulation value. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the cool thing is you can get somewhere between 5 and 8% withdrawal rates depending on your age. And that's just awesome. You know, it's just incredible. Uh, and since the insurance company, it's an insurance product. So since the insurance company is doing all the work here, they're deciding what the safe withdrawal rate is based on your age. And if you happen to live too long, they just keep paying you a paycheck. You mm-hmm. know, the, it's on their dime. That's the whole point. I guess what I'm trying to say is it's back to the d- basic definition of any kind of insurance. You know, it's the transfer of risk from you to somebody else, you mm-hmm. know, whether that's auto insurance or health insurance. So here we're talking about income insurance. You know, it's, you're transferring the risk that you might live too long uh, to this insurance company. And, and in return, they're going to pay you a paycheck for the rest of your life. That's mm-hmm. uh, anything else you'd want to f- well, say about that? Yeah, and I mean, just think about it. Who do you want? Who do you want to be saying, "Oh no," when you live too long? Yeah. Do you want Do you want the insurance company to be saying, "Oh no," because you live too long? I mean, in that case, <laughs> that's great. Or do you want to be the one that's saying, "Oh no, I'm living too long"? Like. No, you know, we don't yeah. want anyone having that thought that's saying, oh, I, I'm living too long. Like, 
when can I end, end the yeah. this, you know, like that, that's <laughs> the terrible. the worst time to, to be asking that question. Exactly. No, I love that. Oh, no. Who do you want to say, oh, no? Yeah. yeah you, you mean you want it to be someone else who's saying, oh, no, they're living too long and we have to keep this paycheck up that they're going to be receiving. And then you're just sitting there raking it in. Like, yes, I will keep kicking as long as I can. So in, in the time we have here, let's just kind of look at look toward our next episode. So next episode, we're going to talk about how to integrate these income sources Take everything we just talked about today, and we're going to put them all together. How do you actually calculate your magic number in retirement? That's our focus for our next episode, so stick with us. And again, thank you, everyone, for joining us for another episode of Not Your Average Financial Podcast, helping you think different about your money, your economy, and your future. This has been another episode of the Not Your Average Financial Podcast. To join a financial revolution and start thinking different about money, go to www.nyafinancialpodcast.com and click Request a Meeting. The topics presented in this podcast are for general information only and not for the purposes of providing legal, accounting, or investment advice. On such matters, please consult a professional who knows your specific situation.